Well, good morning. For those of you who might not know me, I think most of you do, my name is Nathan. I'm the, the lead pastor here and one of the elders of this church. And we've been going through a, sh- a short series this summer where we take your questions about God, your questions about the Bible, theology, or just Christian life in general, and we do our best to respond to those questions each week in our sermons. So we've talked about angels and demons. We've talked about what is the purpose of gathering on a Sunday morning. We've talked about uh, the, the violence in the Old Testament, but violence in part of the Bible. Um, we've talked about all kinds of things, even, even the gospel, like when Becca preached. Uh, so today, we're going to be on to our next topic. Uh, last week, I, I preached on part one of this topic, and today is going to be part two. So for reasons that will become clear, I want to start by taking a look at some job descriptions. This is a real job description, as far as I know, I found it online. Um, But before I read it to you, you'll see why. It's very ironic, but there's lots of typos in this job description for, for, for what it says. So here's the job description for a strategic analyst. And under the heading of the job description, it says what you'll be doing. Our strategic analyst role reports directly to one of the C-level executives of a large multinational group of enterprise software companies. One, you must be insightful. You can't be wrong, naive, or miseducated. Two, accurate. No sloppy or careless errors. Three, precise with specific examples, not generalities or platitudes. Four, clearly communicated. Doesn't need to be customer presentable or pretty. And finally, delivered quickly. Tasks are solved in days, not weeks or months. So what do we offer you as an employee? Do you want to spend your day working exclusively with other brilliant people like yourself? Would you like the rare opportunity to work closely and learn business skills from seasoned senior executives? Do you know you could make a tremendous impact to business results if just given the opportunity? What we're looking for, high IQ. (laughs) This role requires someone in the top 1% with respect to raw intelligence. The problems you need to solve on a daily basis are extremely challenging because they are real and have tangible impact on our business. Two, driven to learn. There is zero training for this job. Literally every week, sometimes every day, you're going to be assigned to a problem in an area which you have no experience. You must love to spend hours reading and devouring information to quickly become conversant, if not an expert, in each of these areas. Results-oriented. We have a fast-paced culture with sky-high expectations, along with unlimited opportunities to learn and have impact. You will typically have hours or days, not weeks or months, to get each problem solved and move on to the next. That is quite a job description. <laughs> um, now a little closer to home, at least for me, who is a church staff worker in this industry. Uh, most senior or lead pastor job listings are not much better than that software company, to be honest with you. Um, in other words, it's a job description unattainable by a real human being, by one human being, uh, with all the limitations that we have. So here's an example that spells out expectations for a pastor job. And I think this is a satirical thing that obviously someone who's seen this stuff wrote. And it spells out the many expectations that usually remain unspoken by congregations when they're looking for a senior pastor. But in this, in this job description, they actually name everything that they actually mean. So the First Presbyterian Church of Warrington, South Carolina is again seeking a senior pastor. <laughs> You know, it's good, right? We are a congregation of about 100 active members established in 1875. 
Duties include all preaching and teaching responsibilities for Sunday morning and Sunday nights with exegetical sermons, an average of 45 minutes each. The pastor will also be responsible for all teachings on Wednesday nights and the adult Sunday school class. In addition, we are currently without a youth pastor, so the pastor will also be temporarily responsible for all youth activities and sermons, Bible studies and fellowships. So so far, that's five full 45-minute sermons every week that you're giving. Senior pastor is also responsible for all hospital shut-in, sick visitations of members, former members, close friends of either, as well as any family or friends related to that member. <laughs> you, you might not realize that this is all real expectations people have sometimes. Senior pastors also uh, be expected to plan and lead an annual mission trip and coordinate all fundraising activities for the trip. We believe it is the call of a pastor to be in touch with his people. The pastor should be available 24-7 to talk with any member of the congregation or the above-stated persons that are friends or family of the member, either face-to-face -face or on the phone. Furthermore, the senior pastor will hold direct responsibility for the spiritual being of every member of the congregation. We also believe it's important for the pastor to make himself known throughout the community at large. And so the pastor will be expected to attend all special sporting events of the youth of the church, including all homecoming events, chaperoning the high school, chaperoning the high school dance, prom night, playoffs, and any cheerleading competitions and their functions. Furthermore, we highly encourage and anticipate ministry to per people in the community at large, above and beyond ministry within the church, so far as it does not interfere with the immediate responsibilities to the above-stated persons associated with our congregation. Um, duties are, are expected to take 40 hours a week. We are uh, offering a manse to you, but, but you, it's, it's very run down. And uh, so with your $35,000 a year salary, we expect you to buy a, a place for your family to live. And then uh, at the end, inquiries can be made to the ruling elders Dave Wellington Sr., Dave Wellington Jr., or the ruling elder Dave Wellington III. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is funny, but... Again, these, these, these are not necessarily unusual expectations. Usually pastors learn what the church expects of them after about five years of being there and many people leaving the church because he didn't do the thing that they didn't say he, they wanted him to do. So we've had some fun, right? Today's question that we are addressing is a great question. And that question is, <coughs> excuse me, what are the biblical qualifications for the office of elder at our church? So what is the job description? What are the biblical qualifications for an elder at the church? What is the job description? Some of you at this point might be saying, eldership, okay, well, this sermon doesn't really pertain to me for whatever reason, so uh, I'll, I'll kind of get through it in the next 20 minutes or so. But I have news for you. These traits that God is looking for as being essential for a person called to be an elder in the church are not just for elders by any means. I am not preaching today about qualities that only pertain to men or that only pertain to those who aspire to the office of elder. Rather, all of these traits we're going to look at today, when put together, show us what God's word considers to be a humble and mature, ideal follower of Jesus Christ, whose life is worthy of being imitated. Paul, we know, said in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow Christ. That's like, you know, he, Paul is saying, I'm, I'm doing it. Follow my example. There are many other places in Scripture where uh, the essential elder qualities we're going to read today are applied to just everybody, everybody in the church, everyone who is a follower of Jesus. But these qualities of eldership must be present 
and those whom God calls to the office of elder in the church. So that's one reason to remain present and listening, listening to these things, because they all pertain to all of us, not just those of us who might be elders. The second reason I'd like you to listen carefully to the sermon is that we rely on the body of Christ to be our eyes and ears in the church, and elders actually are recognized from among the church. That's the first step of the process. So now that you're going to learn these qualities, we want you to nominate people that you think are qualified to be elders and let us know about them. Because we don't always see everything that's happening in the church because we're not that, that, that uh, previously mentioned job description of pastor guy. Um, now, I'm not in touch with everybody and every single thing, every moment. You know, we need your eyes and ears to hear these qualities and then to nominate elders. That's really important. Elders are recognized. They're not built, per se, but they're recognized as, as being already, in a sense, doing the work of the elder without the title and recognized from within the congregation. So any time of year, you can nominate elders. And this is going to be a sermon that lets you know what is the job description of an, of an elder. So let's dive into this. Uh, the two passages we will look at today are considered the main passages about elder qualifications. They're found in 1 Timothy 3, 1-7, and Titus 1, 5 to 9. And I'm going to put these two passages up on the screen so you can look at them as we go through them. I spent a lot of my week poring over the individual words in this passage and seeing what do these words mean. So I just did a bunch of like looking at the Blue Letter Bible online, which anyone can do. You type in the Bible verse, and it lets you look and see what do the Greek words mean. And it, you don't even have to have any Greek uh, experience with Greek to understand what it says. So I, went, I spent most of my week poring over these two passages and just seeing what they say about eldership. And I found it to be you know, very inspirational to me as a Christian and also as an elder. So a lot, to, a lot to live up to here. So let's read this together. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires, desires a noble task. Overseer, uh, pastor, shepherd are interchangeable words for the same thing. Now the overseer or elder is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of, the, of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace, into the devil's trap. So we're going to go through this piece by piece and just look at what God's Word has to say to us today. So here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. The first qualification for eldership in 1 Timothy 3 is that the person must aspire to be an elder. It's one of those things that's unspoken, but obviously completely true. Now, we have had people be nominated as elders in the past who have been nominated, then vetted by a nominating committee, determined that they are elder material, but that person is not aspiring to eldership. And so if they're not aspiring to it, then obviously that is going to disqualify, disqualify them from that. Um, but I would say, 
if a person is surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and possesses all of those, these elder qualities we'll be looking at in abundance, but doesn't, doesn't um, and, and praise and does not feel like God is leaving them to be an elder, that's fine. That's good. It's good for someone to know what God is calling them to do. But the promise from this verse in Timothy is that if a person does pursue eldership, it says, if the pro- a person does, does pursue eldership, that they are aspiring to a noble task in the eyes of God. This phrase, noble task, means beautiful, excellent, commendable, admirable. Eldership is actually precious in God's eyes and in his heart. Because God's heart is, God's heart is to shepherd his people. You know, God is the ultimate elder of anyone's life in the church. And when qualified people agree to work with God to shepherd his people, it's, it's a noble, beautiful thing in the sight of God. I think God's heart actually overflows with joy seeing people step up to be elders with him in the Church of Christ. A really good book I read on eldership that was passed along to me by someone in this church is called They Smell Like Sheep by Dr. Lynn Anderson. And I recommend this book to anybody who wants to learn about eldership. Now, people who aspire to eldership must love and spend lots of time with the people in the congregation to the point that they begin to smell like the people they are ministering to, if you will. So that's why the smell like sheep idea. I would venture to guess that almost 100% of the time, elders are recognized in the church, not created by a vote. The church body can see those who aspire to eldership, partially because they notice these people that go the extra mile to, to shepherd one another. You know, potential elders are like sheep because they're always with the people. You know, I, I mean that hyper, hyperbole a little bit, but, you know, all, you know, very present in the lives of the people of the church. And they love the people of the church with all of their heart, just like God does. Elder, elders treasure what God is doing in the larger vision of the church, but they, they equally treasure what God is doing in the individual life of a person who makes a little step towards Christ. When there was a time uh, years and years back where Jackie and I were asking God, you know, what, what's the ministry you're calling us to? You know, we were coming to a place where I, I had become a, uh, gone through seminary and I was ordained as a minister. And God didn't say to me, you're called to New Life Fellowship. What he said to me was, you're called to Saratoga. So I'm like, well, that's interesting. So we're going to keep going with that. But in the end of the day, the call of God did come out in that I felt such an overwhelming love for the people in this church. I love, love this church. And it's a love that God's given to me. And um, I think that, that, that that's the heart of an elder. They're, they're recognized from within the body. They're nominated. They're vetted. They aspire to it. But the reason they're recognized is because they're already pastoring. They're already eldering and shepherding in the body, and we can see that. So love the church with all the heart, just like God does. Treasuring the work of God, whether it's in a service, in a cup of, over a cup of coffee, 
hearing about someone putting, putting their faith in Christ, seeing the great potential that God has for each person as part of being an elder. You see that God has a different story he's trying to tell than people are telling themselves. And you begin to see that story overtake the, the limited narrative that people have. And it's, uh, it's truly a beautiful thing. So continuing on in verses 2 and 3. Now the overseer, the elder, is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. What do these words mean? We read through them so quickly. I want to go through this bit by bit. First, it says that an elder must be above reproach. What that means is an elder should not behave in questionable ways where they are often and easily accused of many things that end up being true. There's someone that's just, their life is open uh, and, and, and everyone's kind of like, well, he's a little questionable, you know? Um, in general, elders should not behave in questionable ways where they're easily, either from people outside the church or people from the inside, kind of... Um, shown to be not, not having everything on the up and up. There's never going to be an elder who's perfect, which is the reason that um, I say I can be an elder, and Greg can be an elder, and, any, and other people in the church that are qualified could be elders. There's not going to be perfection here, but at least someone who's not fishy and questionable all the time, above reproach. You don't want to have a, an elder who has a reputation for being, opening themselves up to accusations of many kinds which call their character into question because that can tarnish an entire church. It can tarnish uh, the leadership of the church. And it, can, it, can, it can sour, it can sour um, the world's vision of who the church is. There have been a number of large churches that have just kind of fallen in recent days it's almost like in the, in the 80s and 90s when you have like a Benny Hinn or you have these people that kind of these, these, these big scandals with the televangelists. And now it's like the, now churches are having their own scandals and it's, it's on streaming online, all these different platforms and podcasts. It's, it's sad. The story is over and over again, someone who was questionable, but was questioned and um, a cult of personality. And when church is built on one person and their reputation fame or their thing, they're opening themselves up to a pretty dangerous situation because we're all human. We all, can fall. we all need to be held accountable by other people. So an elder is to be, in general, above, above reproach. The, pre, the prospective elder is to be faithful to his wife. This saying, which also appears in, appears in Titus 1, describes two things. First, it is gendered language meaning that elders are expected to be male based on all the passages about eldership in the scriptures. If you listen to last week's sermon, you know my thoughts about women in leadership and in ministry and how many artificial barriers have been set up in the way of women uh, to serving in the leadership role that they uh, are called to do. You know my thoughts about this. There's so many things that get in the way of women using their leadership gifts in the body of Christ. And this is a tragedy that we are working on changing in our church. 
I am all for women using their leadership gifts among the entire body of Christ as they exercise their spiritual gift of pastoring those around them, shepherding others, teaching, preaching, encouraging among the body. But church eldership is reserved for males according to every text in the New Testament that seeks to eldership. This is the system that God has put in place. As I said last week, I believe that women have the capacity to serve as elders easily. There's lots of women that are heads and tails above the men in this regard. They have the capacity, but they're not called by God to be elders. The Word of God uh, seems to make that clear in the Bible. Um, it's a matter, it really is a matter of calling, and God calls men to be elders. And these men are to be unquestionably faithful to their wives in every aspect as they lead their families and lead their wives well. Wife, and, uh, and also it says, the, the husband of one wife, which seems like good advice too. Um, and truly, you know, I think that when we look at the qualities of eldership, when it is a married man, you look at, you know, how is, the, how is this couple work as a team, you know? From inside and out, from the inside looking out and the outside looking in, is this person loving their family the way they should? Is he faithful to his wife? Um, elders, it says in this passage, this is so, you see how packed this passage is. Elders are to be self-controlled, which means able to curb their behavior when needed. Sober-minded and not like a drunkard. They are to be respectable, modest, and humble, as well as hospitable to guests, showing evidence of the self-giving, self-sacrificing love of God for others, which we see demonstrated in Jesus when he died on the cross. Again, does the prospective elder smell like the sheep because he's busy serving among them each week or not? It says in this passage, elders should be able to teach or have a skill at teaching. Now, this doesn't mean that every elder has to be an incredible classroom lecturer or even the most amazing teacher you've ever heard or even the best teacher in the church. It simply means they're able to teach others about God from Scripture and they feel a joy in doing this. Whether that be Sunday school, whether that be in a sermon, whether that be in conversation and relationship with others in their small group, they're able to teach, and it's their joy to teach about God to others. Elders are not to be violent, it says, but gentle and not quarrelsome. As I looked into the original language, it seems clear what this means is that the elder, prospective elder, should not always be braced for a conflict, ready to just explode into a fight with somebody. It's, it's like the idea of being a brawler. You know, someone that holds a theology, and then they're just waiting for someone to say something different so they can clobber that person, right? Elders cannot, should not be brawlers. They shouldn't be violent in word or deed, but gentle, and certainly not quarrelsome. I thought these were really good, this is really good advice for the current age in which we live, for all of us to live into, because uh, being quarrelsome is, um, it's a big part of what fuels social media, and also, and subsequently, our family conversations and our in-church conversations, which just the quarrelsomeness of this world, the, the speaking without thinking, or the instant speaking without thinking. Um, th these qualities are hard to come by these days. And I think if I could have a wish or two wishes 
I'd wish that the church of Christ was generally less quarrelsome and more gentle in the same way that this passage is saying elders should be not quarrelsome but gentle. Being an elder is not being about a head on a stick full of knowledge about God and knowing more Bible than other people. That's not what it's all about. It's about love. And I think all of us could do well to, to follow the Scripture's admonition to be less quarrelsome, less ready to fight, and more gentle. Elders are also not to be lovers of money. I like money. Um, but I don't love it. Money is great. Having, having enough money is great. Not feeling like you're scratching by is great. Although it feels like it's impossible to save or even to keep our bank accounts from eroding right now in this cultural climate we live in. Um, but we are not to be lovers of money. What does that mean? We're not supposed to be driven by our love of money. You know? So I think that that's, that speaks for itself in many ways. The Bible says, you cannot serve both God and money. You're either going to be devoted to one and despise the other, or be devoted to the other and despise the, the first. You, know, you cannot serve both God and money. Verse 4 in Timothy. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? This is a very intimidating kind of passage because we, we know that sometimes what our kids choose to do is out of our control. They're people. You know, they're, they have their own drives and all, all, all of that, right? And this is saying that this passage and also the Titus passage is saying that the, the kids should obey, should, should, should walk in a manner that's worthy of full respect because this reflects on, apparently, the, the prospective elder. But the truth is, a prospective elder cannot, cannot control everyone in their household fully. But from the inside looking out and the outside looking in, elders are to be blameless in how they parent and relate to their wife, children, and members of their household. I think that, you know, the really clear, is, is the character of an elder, the, the gentle, the loving, the, the ordering, and all those, these different things, is this stuff evident in the family's leadership or not? And if someone is a tyrant, in the church, they're probably a tyrant at home first. And um, it can be translated this way. An elder must guard the inhabitants of his household, especially his wife and children, in such a way that there is no room for blame on him for his methods. I was thinking about this. In, in Jewish culture, the age of adulthood was 12 for boys and 13 for girls. That's pretty young. So I really feel what this passage is saying is that for those years when a child is under the care of their father, their mother, and their family in the household, these children, these younger than 12, 13-year-old kids uh, should have some semblance of being under control and have, have, there, there should be a sense where parents have some kind of mastery over their household at that age. That's all I'm saying. So when you get above 12 and 13, you know, it becomes... Who knows what's going to happen with somebody? But you lay a foundation when they're young. I think it's a reasonable thing to say that my kids are somewhat in control and not crazy before 12 years old. That's, that's all I'm saying. And you know, do you think that's true or not? 
I don't know. See, I'm, I'm humbled by this because I have young kids. I don't know if I'm going to be an elder after I'm done with this sermon. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm speaking from ignorance. I have my, my oldest is 11. My youngest is four. We're going to have all kinds of learning that we do. I'm going to, there's going to be all kinds of I told you so's from people, I'm sure. Um, but I think in general, it's saying like, is there order in your household? Do your kids feel loved, taken care of? How do you do with that? Makes sense to me. Elders are supposed to parent, relate to their wife and their kids, you know, respectably and in a way that helps them to grow and thrive. So closing out this, this Timothy passage, we're going, to, we're going to look at one more part of this passage, and then we're going to look at the, the part of Titus that was not covered in Timothy, because most of the Titus passage and the Timothy passage are identical. The first Timothy 3, 6-7, it says, The elder must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil, who, you know, turned on God. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, this is, this is some common sense. An elder should not be the newest Christian in the community. Um, young people and young Christians easily can become conceited when they lack maturity, especially with Christianity, because it is, the aspect of it is intellectual. So knowing things about God is a dangerous thing because it puffs people up a little bit. So an elder must not be someone that's susceptible to that new convert kind of like, oh, I, I know, I know what to do. I'm just treats everything like a nail kind of person. Um, and then you're a hammer all the time. That's not to say that older Christians cannot exhibit that same behavior. They do. Christians that should know better um, will become conceited and puffed up. Um, I will become conceited and puffed up from time to time. We all, we all do. But the, the, the warning is a new convert might not be the right person. They might need to be discipled into this position, which is what we seek to do here. If someone shows potential as being an elder, you know, we, we disciple them. We reach into their lives. We give them opportunities to stand or fall. And we, and we help them in a safe environment to guide them into what they're being called to do. And then it says they, they must have a good reputation with outsiders in the church as well. You know, because an elder conducts himself in a humble way, even outsiders cannot say bad things about them. And those kinds of elders are good for the church's reputation, good for Christ's reputation. Closing it out in, in Titus 1, 5 to 9, I want to read this passage as it comes up, uh, just, and you'll see this is a very similar to our passage in 1 Timothy 3. Titus 1, 5 says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So this is Paul's missionary strategy. Establish a church, raise up an elder, move on. Check in with the elder a couple months later. How are things going? This is what Paul did, his missionary work. Um, an elder must be blameless, again, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness or violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy messages, message as it has been taught 
so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. I want to park on verse 7 here, which I feel is worth going over again. Uh, An elder is not to be overbearing, quick-tempered, or violent in how they shepherd the flock of Christ. You know, we're hearing a lot about in these documentaries and people telling their stories online, we're hearing a lot about toxic work, work environments that people become subject to. And there's terrible stories about these places. Often the reason for this toxic environment is that toxic people are in leadership. Um, and I, I don't mean toxic like the world means it, even though that's being thrown around quite a bit today, but overbearing is translated as self-pleasing, self-willed, and arrogant. That's what that word means in Greek. That's toxic. That's a toxic energy to deal with. Quick-tempered is translated as prone to anger or or even violent, which is translated as being quarrelsome once again, who's always gearing up for a me-versus-you fight, a brawler, verbally or physically. These qualities are necessary for all elders to possess, but they are in short supply in our world today. This is something we need to look into and park on these qualities allow the gospel of Christ to free us from worldly ways of wielding power over others. Like, like we said, saw in that Matthew 20 passage, Jesus called them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over each other and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to serve, but to, ser- to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, who is Lord and God, who the only person that had a right to demand uh, people to, to do whatever he said, he chose to lay that down and serve. And then he said to go and do likewise. So it's one of those, how do you follow the example of Jesus? Well, you realize that he could have done, he could have rightfully exercise leadership in a different way, but he chose not to. He chose to exercise leadership as a servant leader. And we are not going to win any spiritual battles by following in the way of the world, being arrogant, self-pleasing, self-willed, prone to anger, quarrelsome, gearing up for a fight. We're not going to win spiritual battles by doing that. But we are going to but we only win spiritual battles by serving others, even to the point of death. That's what Jesus said. Which is also what husbands are instructed to do in the Bible. Um, Just like Christ loved the church, so love your wife, right? This is serving to death. Figuratively or literally. This is Jesus' way of affecting change in the world. You know, instead of violently insisting on your own ways and opinions, instead of being ready for a fight at any moment, instead of being quarrelsome, Whoever aspires to the office of eldership and wants to be called great as an elder, maybe wants to hear Jesus say you are a great elder after you die, right? You want to hear Jesus say that. Then they must be a servant of all. Because this, this, this way of serving, of giving your life, is what Jesus did on the cross. He served all of our needs by dying on the cross for us. And he calls us to follow in his way. So let's just admit it. I mean, as much as you'd like, we like to soft, soften some of this stuff 
Eldership is a high calling. It really is. No one could possibly live up to it perfectly, no matter how hard they try. Greg and me, Greg and myself, uh, elders in the church, we'd be the first to tell you that we cannot believe we get to do this when we consider the high calling God has put on eldership. So why do we do it? We do it because we have an actual example we can utilize. Jesus. He's a perfect elder, a perfect shepherd, who served his sheep to the point of laying down his life as a ransom for many in order that he might make us perfect in Jesus' righteousness. Now, Jesus died even for his enemies who spit in his face and nailed him to the cross. Anyone who aspires to eldership desires a good thing and something that truly pleases Jesus. Because anyone who aspires to leadership is at the end of the day both relying on and imitating Jesus Christ, who did this perfectly for us and who fills in our gaps, who fills in my gaps as an elder and Greg's gaps as an elder, who fills in our limitations and our failures so that through Jesus we can do it. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this high calling of eldership. I pray that you would provide the elders that the church needs, Lord. Not just our church, but all the churches in our city, and our town. We want to see the church of Christ in Saratoga grow and be strong. So I pray that you would raise up the shepherds that are needed to do this, Lord. And I pray that all of us would grow into this servant leadership of Christ. We would learn to not to be, to be quick, to, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Again, we thank you for our church. We thank you for your provision. We pray that this question would lead to great things in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.